This recording may contain language and or content not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. You can listen to us on iTunes. Just search JDSO. And you can listen to us on Stitcher. Just search Declassified. Previously on Joe Declassified Spec Ops. So the who, who is the, I guess Gary, uh, Gary Goggles, you're the host, right? I don't know. Matt, you're, you're not missing anything. We've, we've spent about 20, we've spent, we've spent about 20 minutes trying to get everyone online and like, and figure out who everyone is and shit. Hello? I can hear Okay, there you are. Hello? And we lost Pat. Hey. Hello? This is the biggest This is the elite of the elite of the jokers online right now. And it, it most likely would have come out in the 2008, I'm sorry, the uh, 1998 year. And it would have most likely have been released in 1998. 88. 88. 88. Oh. That's something that you guys can expand upon, provided Chris can get the year it was going to be released correct. Tonight on Joe Declassified Spec Ops, it's Nanobat versus Ironclaw. Nanobat. How were they discovered? How many times were they canceled? And can they be canceled again? The declassified team takes on the past, the present, and the future of these two massive, unreleased modern legends. Welcome to Joe Declassified Spec Ops. Hello, and welcome to episode four of Joe Declassified Spec Ops. Uh, We are a podcast about the hidden world of G.I. Joe. Tonight, we will be taking a look at some things from the hidden world of the modern era, the swivel chest era, as James Cavanaugh has coined it. Things that were not only canceled, probably numerous times, but have also been resurrected yet again, although at the time of this recording, still remain unreleased. Uh, But before we get to that, let's take attendance. Let's see who's here. I am Gyre Viper, a.k.a. Gary Goggles Head. Also here is Mike Beachhead, no relation. Hi, Mike. How are you this evening? Swivel chest sounds sexy. It, it does. It does. Man, it, it, just, we got we to gotta give James some kudos on that one. Sexy sounding figures. <laughs> uh, we're also joined by Mr. Kevin Watts, the Crimson Guard Immoral. Hello. Hello. And, and I think if, if, if kudos is a VT, then James probably already has it. He's probably already had it, lost it a couple times, and gotten it back. Uh, also with us is uh, Phil Donnelly. Hey, uh, the way this conversation is already going, I'm going to break out the Lysol and just you know spray myself down prematurely. Uh, which, of course, brings us to uh, Josh Carlson, Roshan. Hello. Also with us is uh, Patrick Stewart, a.k.a. Not Picard. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Glad to be here. And uh, Jared, Jamin Stone. Hello, everyone. Last but not least, we are joined by someone who's actually been on the podcast before, but due to an oversight on my part, uh, was not uh, able to give his introduction um, for his debut on the podcast for episode two. Uh, Everyone say hello to Mr. Jay Hunger, and Jay, if you would please uh, finally introduce yourself to the world. Sure. Well, I was going for stealth mode, but that's been blown out of the water now, so... Hey all, I'm Jay. I'm known as Smokescreen on some of the boards out there. Uh, CoilClub.com, JoeDeclassified.com, and JoeBattleLines.com. I may even be registered on Joe's sightings, but who knows. I also run a uh, action figure review site called CardedHeroes.com, where I take a look at random figures from various lines and just kind of give them a pictorial review. I, as in regards to the fuck all. <laughs> Can we edit that out? You know, I wrote all this down so I wouldn't make an ass out of myself, but here we are. Yeah, you you know you'd, you'd have 
to write a lot longer than that, Jay. As a member of the G.I. Joe community, I am vice president of the Coil Club for, you know, all that's worth. And I was the creator of the 2011 Coil Club exclusive figure Sidewinder. Uh, granted, it's no tank, but it's a decent figure nonetheless. I'll also be heading the 2012 Coilcon exclusive figures. My Joe interests are mainly the figures of about any decade. I also follow the cartoons when I do comics, but if I ever need comic info, I just talk to my wife. So, but other than that, that's me. Visit CardedHeroes.com. Thanks. All right. Now, for anyone that doesn't know, Jay's wife uh, does our wonderful uh, intros for the podcast. Now going by uh, Mo in order, but uh, previously known across the Joe forums as Angry Llama. Uh, so if that sounds familiar, that's where you know her from. All right. Well, might as well get this underway um, and just started. Uh, taking a look back to uh, May of 2010, I personally had just returned from JoeCon in Rhode Island, uh, where I had procured a pre-production sample of an unreleased Nanobat figure. Um, I had posted some pics of it online, and uh, needless to say, Nanobat quickly became a household name, despite never having seen release. Fast forward to JoeCon a year later in Orlando, the G.I. Joe Club unveiled their figure subscription service, and one of the first two figures they revealed as part of this subservice was Nanobat, a resurrection I don't think anyone saw coming. I received a lot of credit for Nanobat being the person who posted pictures, but the reality is, is that I couldn't have been more far removed from the actual discovery of the figure. It was actually Pat Stewart, not Picard, who discovered Nanobat, um, and that is where my Nanobat came from. So all all credit for Nanobat belongs to not Picard, really. All I did was give the figure its uh, TMZ moment. About a year before that, actually almost exactly a year before that, in May of 2009, I had acquired an unpainted test shot sample of the canceled Iron Claw. I had also received an unpainted Resolute Crimson Guard, but didn't realize it until about a year later, but that's a longer story, maybe one for later in the episode. The following year, we're back to 2010 again, in Rhode Island at JoeCon, the same con where I'd gotten the Nanobat, images of the Iron Claw were shown in its finished, fully painted glory on the head Hasbro tour during a slide presentation. Sadly, pictures were not allowed. It wouldn't be until a year later, we're at 2011 now, that anyone who hadn't seen those pictures on the Hasbro tour would see what the finished product might have looked like when the G.I. Joe Club had revealed that the canceled Iron Claw, like Nanobat, would be part of their figure subscription service. So that's how all of this is related tonight. And thus, that is tonight's foray into the hidden world of G.I. Joe. I figured uh, to begin this this journey. Uh, we'll turn it over to uh, Patrick Stewart, not Picard, as he is the one who uh, discovered Nanobat in all his glory and pretty much pulled the curtain back on that one. Pat, when you uh, when you first saw images of these, uh, what went through your head? Um, actually, I think that my head pretty much exploded when I first saw, you know, the, the first Nanobat that was offered to me. And I really didn't know what to think, and really my gut reaction was that I wanted to just show it everywhere, but at the same time, I really wanted the information on it to be clear. You know, I was hoping to have that moment at JoeCon where we could kind of, you know, at least get a name out of somebody, because if I had just popped this thing online, who knows what fans might be calling it right now, um, you know... There probably would be all kinds of theories attached to it that may or may not be true. And part of the revelation of things that I always like to have happen is to be at least a little bit responsible with making sure that uh, 
information or as much information as we think that we can get is at least attached to it right at the get-go so that it's clear to people. I think that if we're going to do things as far as a timeline goes, you said that it was JoeCon 2010, right, that, that Nanobat was there and, and that you had obtained one, right? Yes. I had I had seen my first Nanobat in, I remember it was November before JoeCon, so I was biting my tongue for a long time on this. Wow. Really hoping to find out some information. JoeCon was a little earlier in the year, I think, that year. Wasn't it in May or April? Was it, a- April? it was in April because May 2nd is when I posted the Nanobat and I had just gotten home from Con. I, I wasted no time, uh, you know, when uh, some people know this because they were there, and I won't go into too much detail, but basically part of the deal I made to get my Nanobat was that something I had uh, would never be shown that I sort of traded towards Nanobat. So the the idea that that would never be shown, part of that trade was I would be allowed to show Nanobat. You know, not that Nanobat never would have surfaced through either UPAT or someone else, but at the time, for what it was worth, I wanted to make sure that I came home with something from JoeCon to show everybody. Uh, a, it was my first JoeCon. It was in Rhode Island. There was the tour. So part of the deal I made was that, you know, this doesn't get shared so that I can share Nanobat. So that was, you know, it wasn't a simple trade transaction there was actually like you know it, it was sort of like a, a thing it was it was sort of complex so uh i can't believe you sat on it for that long that's insane yeah and, and that deal kind of worked out for me too because i mean I, i've been around in the joe community for a really long time but i realized whenever you wanted to show the nanobat and we had the information that it was nanobat and i think the other bit of information that i that we'd obtained at that point was uh the fact that it was originally intended to have light piping in the arms and in the head. So the figure that, you know, was in hand was definitely not very close to the final to the final deal. Um, whenever you said that you wanted to show it, I thought that was going to be great because, you know, people already knew that the stuff that, you, that you'd previously kind of revealed ended up being legitimate. And if I'd kind of gone out there, I know that there would have been, you know, some of the people who've been around a long time backing me up. But I also had the concern that people would go, this is somebody's crazy custom. It's just, Nanobat's so different than the other things that we sometimes see, that I thought there may be a lot of naysayers to it, and, and you know, Nanobat, Nanobat definitely benefited from you putting them out there. There, there, there were naysayers. There were people that, uh, if you go, the thread itself has over 7,000 views, in case anyone listening is wondering why, and I'm, I'm not, I'm by no means taking credit for it. Um, I can't prove any of this. I'm just telling you that out of, I think it was like something like 7,500 views, and now it looks like it's getting its second chance. Um, I tend to think it's related because the, the, just the attention it got, as Pat was saying, it was so different than I think anything anyone had ever really seen because it took a, a sort of iconic G.I. Joe character and did something to it that I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think we would have gotten Jungle Bat or Constructicon Bat without getting too much off topic without Nanobat. Like, I just, I think the, uh, the response and the attention it got was just was massive, um, you know, and so I was happy to show it for that reason, and that's why I wanted to show it. I came back just like, I didn't even know where to begin. I remember taking pictures of it and going, I, I have to do this right now, so I took the, the crappiest pictures possible, because I was just, I think I was on the phone with Josh, actually, when I was doing it, just so just, oh my god, I can't wait to post this, you know, and I think within a day, it was at like 14 pages, which at the time was not something that you got from, you know, a City Strike Scarlet or a Desert Heavy Duty. I think that the comparison that I made really early on to Nanobat was to Pimp Daddy Destro. Um, there's something about the figure that is so bright and crazy looking that whenever you combined that 
with the fact that it was canceled definitely creates an aura around it that kind of works and makes it a little bit more desirable in some ways to some people. And I think that Nanobat kind of has that going for it. I mean, it's not as old or as iconic as, as you know, the 97 Pimp Daddy Destro, but it definitely has something about it that is weird that I think that people kind of cling on to. It's definitely something that, that if you have it in, in the collection, which I'm hoping everyone gets the chance to here soon with a subscription service, it, you know, it stands out a little bit. It's a little bit different, and for that reason, I think it's cool. Yeah, well, I was just going to note that the Bat character is just something that, that Phantom has been willing to accept different things out of. Um, going back to the old Star Brigade uh, heavy bat, or the the bat with the bat with two A's, as it were. That was a pretty pretty big departure, and, and you know you hear people talk about the old Star Brigade figures now, and they're generally reviled, except for that one. You know, so I, I think part of it too is just that for whatever reason, as Joe fans, we're willing to accept bats in crazy colors doing weird, funky things, and and um, the Nano Bat just kind of plays into that a little bit. That's a very good point, and you know, Sky Bat and Ninja Bat from uh. Sigma-6 as well, we're a little bit out there. I was just going to add to the list of oddball, crazy-colored bats with strange things, the Inferno Bat, which is one of my favorites because it's clear and red. Oh, and, and when you look at it from, from the other standpoint, you know, they, they tried in, uh, in uh, the Valor vs. Venom run, they tried just to put the Viper in a purple uniform instead of blue one, and people went nuts the other way. So for, for whatever reason, we're, we're willing to accept our robots crazy in G.I. Joe, just not, we, we like everything else to stay status quo. Well, not only not only does uh, does is Bat sort of famous for his uh, his changes, but he's also no stranger to uh, to cancellation and. Uh uh, pre-production variations. Uh, Pat, you provided us with a, uh, a picture for this episode of the uh, version one bat from a, a catalog that is totally different than what we got. Yeah, there's actually two different catalogs there. Um, one of them, Transformers fans and maybe G.I. Joe fans did hear about this before, but you, re- you may recall that the Transformers community had gotten together and purchased a an old Hasbro catalog that had a number of pre-production Transformers. The Transformers section in the book is is admittedly a, a lot more interesting than the G.I. Joe section, but the G.I. Joe section does have that image of Bat. Basically, what the Transformers community did was they got together and they bought the book, and then since it was a community buy, they resold it on eBay, and the money from that auction went to charity. So I was the person who won that auction, and so I took a brand new pictures of the G.I. Joe section, um, which that first page is, is online. And the Transformers community did put the G.I. Joe pages online, so it's a little redundant, but I'm so picky and wanted to see things like even closer. So there's a much closer picture of the bat in there. Um, and then the other picture that's in there is of the more common uh, 1986 Hasbro catalog that has bat in it. You can kind of tell if you look at it that it looks like it's the same figure, but the um, first one is the one from the tra- the catalog the Transformers community had gotten together to get. It has on it a different chest sticker, and I believe that the reason for that is, and not only does it have that, but it's just a crazy-looking handmade figure that you know has different proportions all throughout it. The arms are kind of bloated, and this is also, I believe, the figure that was used in commercials. Is that right, Phil? Because uh, you definitely seem to be the one archiving a lot of commercials. This looks like the same one to you. Um, kind of. I don't necessarily pay all that much attention sometimes because the image quality isn't all there, but it does have a familiar ring to it. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's from. One of the I'm, I'm 
pretty sure that in one of the commercials that you showed me, it was the same figure. I'm not sure which chest sticker was in there at the time because, again, like you said, it's kind of hard to see. But the, the interesting thing I think Gary had found, found out about the chest sticker was that there were some changes. So I think that's why in between the two catalogs there was, you know, a placeholder. The first one, at first when I saw it, I thought that maybe it was heat sensitive, like a mood ring or something. But then when I enlarged it after I got the catalog myself, you can kind of see it's just like a space scene or something that they put in there kind of as a definite placeholder. And Gary, I think that you, you uncovered some information as to what exactly had gone on with Bat in the early years and, and what that was. Do you mind telling us that again? Yeah, um, Bill Merkline, uh, who if someone listening doesn't know who he is, he was a, um, a freelance sculptor for Hasbro uh, who sculpted like 60 or 70 Joes. Um, actually, if you go on YouTube and search Bill Merkline, you'll see a seven-part interview I did with him. You'll see um, a demonstration, he a sculpting demonstration he did. There's a an interview with him about Rocky, and then there's two outside interviews, one that he just did recently where I reunited him with one of his two-up sculptures um, that he did for uh, for a, a news channel. But anyways, uh, every, every week or two weeks, he would get together with one of his bosses from Hasbro and have lunch. And uh, at one of these meetings, he suggested, why don't you do an android? Um, and what you can do is you can give him this holographic chest that shows all his inner workings because at the time Bill Merkland was also working for uh you know like you know he had designed holograms for Visa so he was on this whole hologram kick so he was like hey let's make a GI Joe with a hologram and of course after you know and this might explain why that placeholder is there after some time it became apparent that the holograms would be too expensive of course later on they figured out how to do it for visionaries and whatnot but at the time it just wasn't cost effective and it just became lenticular so um which is i i think might be where bob prupus comes in because uh bob prupus also has claimed to have uh, a whole lot of influence on the creation of bat and uh so what i'm guessing is merkline obviously not being a toy designer just a sculptor for the most part uh didn't really know he was just presenting an android you know what it would look like was up to either ron rudet or whoever ended up doing the presentation art and the sketches and the actual concepts um but i can't i don't i don't know exactly where and how and uh that kind of thing but um so it, it that placeholder might be representative of when they were trying to figure out how viable it would be to to do an actual hologram or maybe before they had perfected the lenticular or maybe something went wrong and that's all they had uh the other thing is i because that bat head is different i don't know if that was bill's original head or if that was some other sculptor's version um that's something i guess i could ask bill about if he recalls all right well other than the uh the 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 pre-production uh bat samples in this catalog uh what other bats have sort of uh not seen the light of day uh as is well there are a few of them um there's the one that I called the Dirty Bat. Uh, Josh, can you describe that one to us? Yeah, it's the, uh, it basically, it, it's, it's the uh, 2002 Spy Troops, or no, Joe versus Cobra Bat, that was then used again in Spy Troops. And how many times was it used, used over again? They had 3.2, 3.3, it ended up being in the dollar store. And this is one of the, the, the many different variations of that. It looks fairly similar to every other one, but the the, uh, the boots and the arms have a paint wash on them, which is where Pat gets the dirty from. And, and, and that's, other than some slight color changes, there's some gold uh, highlights on the armor itself, but that's about it. There's not much different to it, but it's uh, 
which is another one of those little things you find along the way. Then there was another one of that same mold that was just an, like an all gold and probably of more modern figures that are interesting. I, I would say the Robot Rebellion was kind of neat because the uh, I can't remember if it was a five pack of bats or a six pack that included overkill that had the bright green details all over them. There were some of them that had shown up online that had uh, red details. And then one of the ones that I really like is also the mech driver. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that the mech suits that came out in the Valor vs. Venom line were going to come out again, I think with, oh no, definitely with revised arms. I think they ended up using the arms off on this one in the um, convention sets. So, oh, the uh, that, yeah, the Iron Anvil mech, I think, was the one that was going to come with the, actually, I think that might have been the Joe, the Joe, the G.I. Joe one. Is that I right? Think the, I think you guys were the mixed up. One. The Iron Anvil okay. mech didn't, wasn't different than the defense mech. It was basically a defense mech just repainted. The pulverizer mech was the one that got reused as Hot Wires mech. Okay. I think that's what you're talking about. I, I know that the arm off of the one that Bat was going to come with was going to be different, and it ended up coming out. So it must have come with Hot Wires mech, which that's kind of cool because he's the Bat mechanic. But anyway, that, that figure was going to be a little bit different too. And I think that pictures of that are up on Joe Intel. Other than that, bringing it back kind of to the era of Nanobat, I really think that Nanobat's story has been a long and difficult one, and I think it starts with the wave that everyone kind of refers to as Wave 14. I'm reluctant to call it Wave 14 because it actually never was referred to by that, you know, from Hasbro. It actually would have been like, a, I think it would have been Wave 9 or Wave one or two of 2009. Actually, I think it was wave one or two of 2009. I can't remember. It's the wave that, that would have been basically last in the 25th line. Um, I believe that would have been wave two of 2009. That sounds right to me, because the first wave was the one with the blue, fly, blue firefly and torch in it and the resolute figures, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, I, I can't really remember exactly what the wave numbers were. I just had looked it up on Joe Sightings today, and they actually had that wave listed as a 2008 final wave is wave 13, so I wasn't sure if that was wave 1 of 2009 or wave 13 of 2008. Got a little bit confusing because people just kept on numbering them the same thing, even though Hasbro does reset their numbers every year. Yeah, it was one of those end-of-the-year releases where, but but as far as what the official dates on it were, that, that it was supposed to be wave 1 of 2009, and it just got to the stores for before Christmas. Okay, so this definitely would have been a Wave 2 2009, or what everybody calls Wave 14, uh, that would have included, you know, Night Force Falcon, Zap, Bat, and Storm Shadow. I never ended up getting the uh, unproduced version of him. But I I'm pretty sure that the Nanobat story starts there, because if you look at the released uh, Nano Viper, I'm, from what I gathered whenever I was there at Con, the story of of Nanobat kind of is somewhere in between there. Whenever some things, whenever ideas get canceled, sometimes they get just slightly modified or changed. And if you look at the the Wave 14 Bat and look at Nano Viper, you can kind of see some similarity between the two of them. Both of them have the vines, and if you were actually to put 
nano nano bat in between there, you could kind of see that there's a little bit of a transition in between the two. From what I understand, at one point, nano bat was going to be considered, you know, as a for a single carded figure. And I think probably what happened is the wave 14 bat probably struck them an idea, you know, to take the nanomites from Rise of Cobra and to make a bat out of it. And that maybe didn't work. I'm not sure what the reason was, why it changed into a Viper. Maybe they felt that that worked better for Rise of Cobra. Or maybe, and this one's also a possibility, whenever the seven packs ended up uh, getting greenlit and, you know, that figure was no longer canceled, they probably didn't want to have a similar figure to it on the shelves. Or they may have thought to themselves, well, you know, the, the, the mold's going to be busy. The molds in China will be busy making this figure. We have to change things up. Not really sure what, what the what the reason for that was, but I do kind of get the feeling that there was a connection there, and I did get some kind of indication that that was the case. Um, but the story that really seems to prevail of Nanobat's story is that he was intended for some kind of two pack. Does anybody else? Can anybody else weigh in on that? Well, yeah. The from and this this sort of lends um, lends a little more credit to your theory about Wave fourteen or Wave two of two thousand nine or whatever, as it were, that. Uh, at some point, Nanobat was apparently going to be part of a two-pack with uh, with Zap. Now, uh, there's been rumors of it being a Rise of Cobra Zap. I don't know if that would uh, lend him some impact armor or reactive armor of some sort, but it does stand to reason that you have uh, Zap and you have Bat in one wave, uh, both canceled until re-released in seven packs, but also sort of hovering around this uh, this idea that a version of Zap and Nanobat were going to be packaged together. Um, I don't think it was going to be a comic pack. If I had to, if I had to guess, I would say it was going to be a two-pack exclusive for like Toys R Us or Walmart or something. Um, my guess, of course, would be Walmart because right before that we had the uh, we had the Rise of Cobra two packs. Um, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was going to be a later wave or a previous wave. That's the problem is when things get moved around, everything gets moved around. You know, you know. I I honestly do also think that he was that Nanobat was going to be a single-carded figure as well. Yeah, I actually did get both stories, you know, from different people. Some people looked at it when and actually said Hall of Heroes bat, which Hall of Heroes would be Toys R Us. And then I had heard some people say, like, Walmart. So I'm not sure. I mean, if it was going to be in, in the, a two-pack with Zap, I would think that stands to reason it would have been Walmart. Yeah. I think that it's just one of those cases where, you know, there's this idea that exists and, you know, different slots exist at Hasbro where they're trying to put things out and they are trying to make deals for exclusives and they probably are just kind of shopping it around and seeing where it fits and as it was Nanobat you know whenever all the slots got filled you know they played musical chairs a little bit from the sounds of things and he didn't have a chair left so then he just kind of got cancelled but thankfully you know we should be seeing him again in, in the subscription. Well, Pat's idea about, you know, when there are figures slated but then simply repurposed, you know, uh, uh, you know from what we've seen from, like, a standard line to a movie year or, or in previous years from, you know, say, uh, the end of Spy Troops that popped up in Valor versus Venom, whatever. I mean, th th this has been really prevalent in the last few years. Uh, look at the entire couple first waves of the... Uh, of those small target vehicles. I mean, I think we can we can trace every one of the target vehicle releases back to a 25th anniversary version that that just got canceled. I mean, I 
think we can come up with at least two waves worth between the ones that you, Gary, had gotten uh, early on in, in test shot form and then other ones that have surfaced since then between, you know, pieces here and there or artwork or whatever. You know, I mean, obviously the quarrel with the bike got canceled but then showed back up as, as uh, using the bike with, uh, with Sandstorm. You know, just to use that as an example. I mean, that was an entire run of stuff that was then redone and repurposed. I, mean, I think I think there was a whole lot of stuff that was planned for 25th that they just ended up scrapping and putting right into Rise of Cobra. I was also going to say that that one of the things I kind of wanted to show on this uh, episode were a couple of things that maybe haven't been seen so far, and one of them for the Nanobat is that I after the initial Nanobat was found. I did come across a different nanobat, and this one I'm not sure what its deal is. Uh, the the subscription service had been announced, but I really don't think this has anything to do with that because of you know where I got it and, and that sort of thing. It looks like what it is is a precursor to the nanobats that we've all already seen. Um, if you look at it, and there is a picture of it, you know, that I'm providing that if you're just listening to this podcast, you should definitely take a look online in the show notes or wherever you're going to get that information and uh, take a look at it because it's, it's better to see it than to just hear about it, but I will explain what you're looking at. It appears that at some point they made the decision to change the upper legs of Nanobat and they used the uh, DVD pack Snake Eyes from the Greatest Battles DVD set to, they actually ripped those legs off of the Snake Eyes and put them on the Nanobat because I've compared them and they're exactly the same. The only difference is the ones on these Nanobats don't have the pouches glued on on the sides. So they definitely have some kind of pre-production tie to them. It doesn't look like anybody was fiddling around with an actual Nanobat. I can't imagine why somebody would just swap out the upper legs. And uh, the other thing that's different about it is if you look, the gray, like the black of the boots is more of a charcoal color. The greens don't match at all. And there's no cobra symbol on the arm. I took some close-up shots of the two of them together so you can kind of see that and see the differences between the two. But I do think it's an interesting thing because it makes me think that at some point maybe they did have regular bat upper legs on Nanobat and they decided for whatever reason that they were going to make something look a little bit different this time. I'm not really sure why. Maybe they didn't want that holster on the side of his legs so that he could fit into something. I don't really know. But due to the fact that Nanobat has kind of had a, a long and difficult journey, I think that maybe there was some change to him early on and this figure is an indication of that. So that was certainly interesting. Then there is the... Uh, the jungle bat that Gary had mentioned earlier seemed to be a little bit of a relative of the nano bat, and I would have to certainly agree. Um, but what makes it even more interesting is a, a different figure that I was lucky enough to have. And Gary, do you want to explain exactly what that is? Because I have a picture of it bagged, but I've not opened it. So, so, so basically, uh, at one point, um, I was offered something I've never been offered before through my my resources, which was, um, you know, at first glance, they they kind of just look like kit bashes, uh, and then of course, as you kind of 
look at them in full, you realize that what they what they essentially are 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 mock-ups of Pursuit of Cobra Wave Five and Pursuit of Cobra Wave Six, Jungle Bat, and um, you know Temple Guardian Snake Eyes, the Iron Grenadier, the Cobra Commander with the uh, Compound Z, and so so basically what what they were is uh, for example uh, uh, the the Jungle Bat mock-up is a 25th bat body because the Jungle Bat utilizes that it's just repainted so that would be that. Um, and its accessories, uh, if it has new accessories, they're cast in white or yellow or blue. If it has old accessories, it's just like the normal accessories. And then uh, most of them have two heads. Uh, for example, the the Crazy Legs mock-up, anything that was sort of new to the figure was cast in yellow. So like the, the harness and the hat are like yellow. But the body, of course, has the, the parts that make up the Pursuit of Cobra Crazy Legs in their original, you know, figure colors um and uh so basically for like crazy legs he'd have two heads because uh he was he uses parts from the pursuit of cobra zartan which we know has two heads you know the zartan head was included in there it's they're they're all very strange like that the um the iron grenadier it's just money destro's fully painted body but with an unpainted iron grenadier head because that's sort of the new the new bit um so for the jungle bat mock-up it's the the bat body with all the accessories that sort of bat has come with but it also included a couple interesting things which i seriously when i first saw it my jaw dropped it had uh it had a a fully painted battle damage nanobat head included with this jungle bat mock-up with a you know 25th colored body so you know of course when i saw this battle damage uh nanobat head which i had never seen before i mean you would assume there's a battle damage nanobat head somewhere out there because all the bats have a battle damage head and you know obviously with uh with what the club's doing we've now seen a battle damage nanobat head but up until that point i hadn't even considered it like i hadn't even I was so sort of enthralled with Nanobat, and then when Pat found the new Nanobat, I was like, wow, Nanobat. Nanobat. But I never really thought of a battle-damaged head. So with this single jungle bat mock-up was this, you know, this battle-damaged Nanobat head. Nanobat. Which tells me that there is, you know, obviously a correlation, a relation between Jungle Bat and Nanobat, and of course the Wave 14 Bat, because, and even the regular 25th Bat and all that, because, I mean, this sort of just, uh, they're, they're obviously, for whatever reason, completely interconnected, uh, not only in concept, but the way that these mock-ups, these test shots were sort of, you know, stored with all of these pieces from, you know, that gather different accessories um, from different incarnations of every part that these mock-ups use. Do you think that there's some connection, like, for real now between Jungle Bat and Nanobat? I think there is. I think that basically when are they are, they're putting these things together, they're gathering up the most recent things that they have in order to see how the parts work together. And I think that when are they are doing the Jungle Bat, they kind of had Nanobat on their mind in the factory and probably were putting the parts together kind of from that. And so that's probably how that head ended up in there. But I also see it as a, you know, a huge fortunate event that, you know, we, we now have a battle damaged nanobat head to show with the other two nanobats, as you will see in the pictures online. Yeah, I mean, amongst the pictures uh, that, that, that Pat's kindly provided, not only will you see the, you know, the seven pack 25th bat, but you'll see the, uh, the difference between that and the, the quote unquote wave 14 slash wave two uh, canceled bat. You'll see the differences between that. And then you'll see the, uh, the jungle bat 
variation with the pre-production all green head and then you'll see the the nanobat variations as well uh and also pat has taken a picture of the bag mock-up so you can see that it has you know the accessories and it's a, a 25th bat but then he went and he showed the uh in one of the photos it's the 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 first nanobat he found the second nanobat he found followed by a, a another nanobat where he's put the battle damage head on it so you can get an idea of what it would have looked like as a whole. So that's all there for yeah. you guys. Unfortunately, I don't have the battle damaged chest to go with the battle damaged head, but you know it's still pretty cool to see as it is. The green head, the other thing that I wanted to add about that is that I had gotten a complete jungle bat with the green head, like one with all of its accessories, which is the one that's pictured there. The interesting thing is that the damaged head that came with it was also black. So I think there may have been, you know, it, it seems it would seem weird to me to have a bat who, you know, his head gets damaged, then suddenly it changes color entirely. So I think part of that decision was them deciding between the green and the black. It seems definitely, I mean, I, I'd heard them say that the edge was the reason why they chose the black. But I think that they may have also uh, needed to make the two of them match. It would have been really silly if we had gotten that jungle bat and the, the you know the the clean head and the damaged head were two different colors entirely. Well, we now we now know that you know well supposedly uh, everyone will be getting a a nanobat through the uh, GI Joe Club uh, figure subscription service. I remember uh, I was sitting at the declassified booth just. Uh, Everyone was at a panel or taking a lunch break. Like, it was around that sort of dead time where no one's really walking around the floor or everyone's sort of busy doing their own thing or recouping or whatever, um, or at a panel. And I remember getting a text message from, I think, six people saying they are releasing Nanobat uh, through the G.I. Joe Club. I mean, in different variations of that sentence, of course. And I remember I just... I never saw it coming. Um, I never saw the subscription coming, and I certainly didn't see Nanobat ever rearing its head anytime soon uh, because we knew, we sort of knew that, you know, with the launch of the 30th anniversary of Renegades, we were already getting a full plate, and after that would be the film. Uh, but I guess uh, sort of uh, Pat and anyone else that had sort of a reaction, what do you sort of think of Nanobat sort of uh, getting his second chance through the club of all places? Gary, uh, just real quick, um, I kind of remember that a little differently. Um, I don't remember, it might have been Chris Murray who I was with uh, during that deal, but I remember being in the, the presentation and, uh, and he says, oh my gosh, they're doing Nanobat, somebody's got to go tell Gary. And so I, uh, I, 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 I got out of there as fast as I could and I came up to him like, dude, they're doing Nanobat. Oh, that's right. Uh, it, you told me... Doing- <laughs> Yeah, they're doing you told me, and that's that's when I went to go check my phone and tell everybody, and that's when I saw I had so many text messages. You're right. Yeah, Dude, I remember I texted, that. I texted you. My text said they're releasing Nanobat. Sell yours now before the panel lets out. <laughs> uh, yeah. I remember that. Yes. Uh, yeah, I remember. I remember. You, I remember you just being. You were like, "Oh my gosh, they're doing my whole collection because they were doing." Uh, you know. Uh, oh man. Coral. I remember you just, I remember the look on your face was just kind of stunned. Uh, just no, I mean, that's, and, and, you know, I think Pat will tell you the same thing, that at the end of the day, is it is it great to have these things that, uh, you know, that just, that essentially you would never own otherwise? I mean, is it is it great? But at the same time, the whole reason that I do what I do is, you know, not only to sort of let people see these things, but hopefully to sort of get certain things made. Um, I cannot, I cannot take credit for, you know, Nanobat getting made, or later on we'll talk about iron claw simply because of the the amount of attention they got that's sort of a logical answer like you'd come to like oh well everyone obviously was into it so they're going to put it out but that that doesn't really that doesn't mean anything it 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 
you know, it might have nothing to do with it. You know, the club wanted to do a subscription. They might have just come across me like, oh, this is cool. And I don't know. It. I don't want to take full credit for it. But I do want to say that, you know, one of the reasons I do what I do is to uh, to hopefully maybe get some of these things uh, in the hands of collectors. I think that, you know, a lot of stuff gets canceled and we don't really get a chance to say we would like that, especially if we don't know it exists. Dude, I gotta, I, I gotta say, just hearing it all from, from you guys' perspective now, I've got this image of like, of like a, a silent room with like the guys from the club giving their presentation and all of a sudden Jared jumps up and screams, oh my God, I gotta go tell Gary that they're making the bed of it. goes like running out of the room. <laughs> It would have been more like, oh my god, I gotta go yeah. tell Gary about the like, just, just that I mean, image, like like something from like Revenge of the Nerds or something, where he just like jumps up and screams and goes racing out of the room, like in the middle. <laughs> in the middle you know, I, I would I would say I would say it's, it was pretty much exactly like that, except for the part where I stand up and scream, oh my god, I gotta tell Gary and run out. That, it, that it, it almost it was almost identical, except for that part. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, t- it took a lot for me to not... I mean, part of me wasn't... It's not that I was upset that it was happening. I was upset that I wasn't in that panel to see it happen because of how close I had sort of become to, you know, the sort of nanobat craze. Um, you know, that was... I. That was sort of my compromise, I guess, of running the declassified booth was I was like, no, no, you guys go to the panel. I saw what I wanted to see. And then, of course, you know, who who would have suspected the club was going to say, and we're releasing Nanobat and Quarrel through a subscription service? Like, I'm, who really saw that coming? Well, let's be honest. You might still not see the subscription service coming. No, well, and that's the thing is it's, I, I don't, I, you know, you got to wonder, are, are these things cursed? Because, that's low blow, Kevin. Well, no, but Kevin, Kevin brings up, here's the thing is, you know, if it's not a sure thing for Hasbro, and this is nothing against the club, if it's not a sure thing for Hasbro, there's no way it's a sure thing for the club. You know, if, na- if, the, if the club subscription doesn't go through, what is the fate of Nanobat and Ironclaw? Um, so I, I, it's funny, but, you know, at the same time, it's kind of like, wow, I mean, this could happen again. No, you're right. I definitely, I remember there was this old episode of the Brady Bunch where they all were running around with this little uh, nanobat figure, causing everyone to have this horrible luck. I think they were stuck on like an island somewhere. Might have been Cobra <laughs> Island, really. Nanobat. So basically, that's the uh, the 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 known and unknown and hypothetical and just uh, perpetually mysterious origins and possible future of Nanobat. Nanobat. Uh, where it stands now, and hopefully where it is going. That then brings us to uh, to the other images and the other topic of discussion for this evening, uh, which of course is related to uh, to Nanobat in the sense that it is also being offered up apparently. Currently, through the GI Joe Club, and that is the uh, the modern era slash swivel chest incarnation of the villainous, the sinister Iron Claw from GI Joe Extreme. Basically, uh, you know, my my first experience with Iron Claw was I remembered hearing or reading something about it where someone had just brought up Iron Claw Trooper. And uh, I remember just sort of filing that away in the back of my head because, I mean, uh, by the time I had gotten Iron Claw, I had only been active in the G.I. Joe collecting community for about four months, and I had only been sort of buying pre-production stuff for about two months. So um, I remember uh, I got this email, and in it it had uh, all these, you know, unpainted test shots. 
and one of them I didn't recognize, and it was cast in all black, and it had you know the the you know the the, the pre-production colors that you can see if you Googled you know Gyre Viper Iron Claw. Or if you can I'll post my thread in the notes so you can see the original um, the original post. So basically, what happened was is uh, I I send the picture to someone and I say, "What is this?" Because I don't recognize it, and they said, "Oh, that looks like the canceled 25th Iron Claw Trooper." So I was like, "Ooh." And, uh, you know, because I'd remembered hearing about it. and uh, But I didn't recognize it because G.I. Joe Extreme wasn't something that I was overly familiar with because, uh, you know, by the time Extreme came around, I was collecting vintage Star Wars. So G.I. Joe just wasn't, you know, I, I remember hearing about G.I. Joe Extreme, but other than that, that whole era, I just was unaware of because I was, you know, in, you know, Star Wars land. So, um, so this was severely new to me. And I remember I, uh, I got it in hand and I took pictures and I posted what I, you know, I posted what it looked like to me. To me, it didn't look like an iron claw trooper. It looked like iron claw, you know? And so I was like, well, that's odd because I keep hearing iron claw trooper was this canceled figure. I was like, Maybe it just misunderstood. Well, fast forward, I find out that the reason he has a removable beret is so that he can also be a troop builder. So he can also be um, an Iron Claw trooper. And I, even I thought that was kind of weird. I was like, well, you take off his beret and he's suddenly, uh, you know, he's no longer Iron Claw. Okay. But if you go and you look at the actual, um, the rest of the origins of this figure, you can actually see how that is. Uh, originally, um, well, as far as we know, originally, uh, Iron Claw, this 25th incarnation, is actually a Resolute Iron Claw. And uh, he was going to be packaged with a Resolute Crimson Guard. As I said before, um, I had gotten them both at the same time, but the Resolute Crimson Guard I was wrapped in bubble wrap and in the pictures, and when I got it, I just assumed it was a regular unpainted Crimson Guard which I had no interest in, and I gave it away, only to find out later when it was opened and someone sent, that person sent me a text message, hey, can I post pictures of that Resolute Crimson Guard finally? I was like, I'm sorry, what? I, I had no idea I had just given away the other half of Iron Claw. So basically, Iron Claw, Resolute Iron Claw and Resolute Crimson Guard were going to be in this comic pack uh, written by Larry Hama. I don't remember who did the art. And actually, Larry Hama didn't remember writing it until I showed it to him. Uh, like, Larry Hama and I were talking, and I'm like, oh, you know, do you know anything more about this concept, this Iron Claw versus Crimson Guard comic book type thing? And I'll actually read word for word uh, what Larry had to say. He said, well, at first he said he didn't write it and I showed it to him. And he goes, sorry, I actually did write that. I've never seen an actual copy or even JPEGs of the finished art. Hasbro never sent me copies of either the comic or the toy. I didn't even know that series of promotional comics was called Resolute, and I never saw the cover. So that kind of tells you where this sort of, uh, you know, this comic pack ended up, uh, limbo-wise. I mean, it ended up being, what, sold on Amazon at one point, right? The Iron Claw one actually never got sold in physical comic book format. It was a digital download okay, that yeah. got as part of a promotion. Yeah, so basically, I mean, you know, uh, at the time, I had gotten this thing that even I didn't really know what it was, and I posted it up, and of course, I at first, I couldn't understand why people are referring to his iron claw trooper and then it turns out the whole idea is you take off the beret and he's an iron claw trooper well if you go and you look at the comic book um you can find it on generals joe's if you just google it there's images of it you actually see in that comic book the iron claw troopers are exactly what iron claw is minus a beret they all have the strap they all have the skull on their shoulder literally the I, only difference they is have the beret, don't they no I mean, some of them might have the beret, but there's an there's uh, I want to say it's like the third picture on Justin's site, if I'm not mistaken, has 
just has the uh, it's it's just them just bald. That explains why there was that sort of confusion when I got it over it being Iron Claw and Iron Claw Trooper. So long story short, I post this thing on the forums and it literally within I think like a week hit like you know three thousand views and four thousand views and five thousand. It was obvious people were interested in seeing this extreme update. And for all the crap extreme gets, it seems people were just happy that there was this new iconic villain presented in modern form. And uh, so that was pretty much my first experience with uh, with Iron Claw, and I had never seen another three dimensional representation of it. Um, although, as I stated in the beginning of the episode, at Joe Con in Rhode Island, in one of the uh, Hasbro tour decommissioned rooms, they had thrown up uh, an image of a fully painted one, or what seemed to be like a fully painted one, and uh, you know that was about it. Um, and I remember being just so happy to know what one looked like. And then, of course, uh, now it seems that the G.I. Joe Club will also be doing will be doing Iron Claw. But I never thought I would actually see a pre-production version uh, that was painted of Iron Claw. I really thought that my test shot was all I'd ever see and then the club one would come out and that'd be it. But that's not what happened, is it, Pat? No, not at all. I was actually quite lucky again. Um, this is not a case as it was with Nanobat, where I had the thing and waited months to learn more about it before putting it out there because I didn't want it to be the subject of all kinds of misconceptions. You know, as soon as I got it, I knew what it was. So here we are talking about it now, which it's not been that long since I've gotten it. But yeah, I was super excited that I was able to obtain an Iron Claw. And the one that is pictured is not the club iron claw. There are just a couple of differences between the one that Hasbro is going to do and the one that the club is putting out. And you'll be able to see those by looking at the picture that's been solicited by the club versus the pictures that I put online. There's not really a whole ton different. Probably the largest difference is that the club has added that big claw to the side of it, that big red one. That I think is a good addition because it does remind me of the deluxe Iron Claw that has kind of like a an attachment that goes on his arm that he has two large claws. And, you know, just for the sake of being clear, I did take some pictures of Iron Claw with uh, all of the G.I. Joe Extreme versions that have been released. I think my one versus Lieutenant Stone is missing his sword. But other than that, you can take a look at the Hasbro Iron Claw versus all of the figures that were released in G.I. Joe Extreme. You can kind of see how he's a mix of many of them. That particular Iron Claw doesn't have the hat on, as you were saying, the Iron Claw Troopers were going to have. They, it could be used as the Iron Claw Trooper, because I did see the image that you were talking about, where there's like an Iron Claw and Iron Claw Troopers, two of them in like a trench with the hats off. Uh, but you can see how this figure kind of has many different figures that influenced it. Uh, it definitely has a lot of use of red in the gloves and in the belt, and probably the most standard Iron Claw from the extreme line has brown in those areas. I also included an image that I had done of a custom from, you know, cast parts made from your test shot iron claw uh, to kind of show how I had interpreted what the comic book was showing um, as a custom because I did want this figure so bad that I actually made a custom of it. Then the fan subscription service and was announced and then i managed to find one as the uh hasbro canceled comic pack figure i did want to mention that the original name of iron claw i thought this is kind of interesting in the uh 
the history of him is that he used to be called the Iron Claw. For some reason, where the G.I. Joe Extreme line was being developed, they wanted to create a little bit of a secrecy behind him, and they felt that there would be more of that if they referred to him as the Iron Claw rather than just Iron Claw. But somehow in the production of the line, the the managed to get dropped. So I thought that that was kind of an interesting thing with his name changing over the years and this figure actually being an Iron Claw trooper, which is the one that I'm showing. And whenever the club comes out with it, it is just going to be shortened again to be Iron Claw from G.I. Joe Extreme, which is the way I do prefer it. Do you think it stands the test of time that through the subscription service, it, it sort of does... Uh, I guess Iron Claws and Justice for the modern era, or do you think it uh, it's kind of trapped in the era that it was meant for? Well, I just think that when you boil down the figure, I mean, he's really not that more eccentric than like Destro. So I, I think he's got a rightful place, you know, in the legions. I mean, I don't think he looks that out there, really. So yeah, I, I think he fits in fine. It works with the rest of the uh, core that they have. I, I think Iron Claw is is the very definition of what they're what they should be looking for in this subscription. I think you've got uh, it, it's one of those where it's very much that's a cult kind of character. You know, he's he's the best in terms of, of being distinctive and, and being recognizable. He's the best of what Extreme has to offer uh, because really the, the the heroes in that line were pretty forgettable. And so if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna give 1995 or 96 or whatever it was it's it's homage then that's that's the place you gotta go I think it was a great choice honestly I think it was a pretty inspired choice I, I think that works that works a lot better there as as a as a filling in the holes than than um, than a lot of you know a lot of other maybe more popular choices would have been but but again that's what it's there for you're not this this isn't going to be this isn't really a mass produced figure you know I, I think this fits a lot better in something that the club is doing like like the subscription service or even if it had been at a con set i think i would understood uh, a lot a lot better than it would have worked as a as a two-pack figure a mass release kind of figure so i'm kind of in that weird spot where you know i was actually more into gi joe in the mid 90s that's kind of when i got old enough to really appreciate them more so around this time it's kind of where my version of the fandom kind of came into being i'm kind of weird like that i guess and for me i see the links there for iron claw being in this line because you know, Sergeant Savage took place with the real American hero line, and then somehow Sergeant Savage ended up in Extreme. And so I kind of see the linking together of all these different uh, cartoons and lines and just another disparate branch in continuity of G.I. Joe. And, you know, I do like seeing some of that uh, rendered in a uh, modern fashion, paying, you know, homage to the older characters that might be forgotten, bringing them back into the foray. And, you know, I just like the fact that we finally got an iron claw with decent articulation. You know, most of the people I've spoken to, they actually like the G.I. Uh, Joe Extreme cartoon as goofy as it may have been. The, the main complaint about the Extreme line as a whole was that these figures just did not have articulation, which is kind of the antithesis of G.I. Joe. Hell, I'd like to see General Blitz and Sergeant Savage run too, but I might be the only one, <laughs> really one wanting that. No, I want a General Blitz. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with Phil on a, on a lot of... I really think that the designs of a lot of those figures, I, I think they stand up. I don't really think they seem dated. I, I think that they could... They could be worked from the 25th anniversary line, you know, even, even you know, Ballistic with his mullet, 
You know, I, I, I think uh, when you, I've talked to some of the guys who worked on that line, who designed it, and and one thing that you know was that I find was uh, present throughout every designer you talk to, every era that they worked on, every every whatever, they all really thought what they were doing was cool. I mean, you run into some who were like, well, it's just a job and I want to get to this or whatever, but generally they really felt like they were doing the best thing they possibly could for the line. And, and when you talk to the guys who work on Extreme, they felt the same way. You know, even if, you know, it might not be our favorite incarnation, they really felt like they were putting everything that they had into it. Um, I know a lot of the, uh, the one guy in particular that I spoke with, uh, he wasn't happy about the lack of articulation and he said that there was one figure in particular, Freight, where uh, he had come from Kenner, and he said they had to get some odd special, uh, special like permission to be able to make freight because he he wasn't articulated enough to fit in a vehicle, and that was apparently like against most of the stuff that Kenner believed or or, or had ever done before. You know, going back to the Star Wars days. Um, but no, I, I definitely think that Iron Claw has his place. I mean, he he has a very similar look to like the Joe versus Cobra era claws figures. And and honestly, I was just asking, you know, was there was there any implied connection between like Iron Claw and the Cobra claws or, or something like that? Because I think they do have a very similar look to them. Whether or not the Cobra claws, you know, came from that idea or whatever, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of conjecturing, but. I, I definitely think, I mean, some of the characters would be cool to see. I mean, they reused some of the names. You know, like a Black Dragon was obviously reused later. I don't know. I, I think... I think I would I would be down with seeing a whole bunch of those characters done. I'd be down with seeing you know General Blitz like uh, like Phil just said. I think General Blitz was a pretty cool character and pretty cool looking too. I'd like to see him as well. The uh, the designs of the figures I think they would work with you know GI Joe that we know, but it's just the construction. I mean the construction was the fault of the era thanks to uh, Spawn and McFarlane and all that crap with the preposed. Uh, sculpting and stuff like that. I think, anyway, it was the trend at the time. There wasn't, you right. know, not just that, yeah. but it was also it was also Kennerizing. I mean, remember previous to that, like all the like every line that Kenner put out in the early to mid nineties was basically the same. You know, Aliens, Congo. It was basically the same, like four four points or five points of articulation, four and a half inches, five inches tall. You know, I mean, it took time before they evolved past that, and then apparently returned to it again for retaliation. Is it Venom versus Valor? Or the Joe versus Cobra twelve inch was it the Crimson Guard? He basically looked like the claws. Didn't he have a beret? Yeah, they took they just took a, the claws figure. I mean that was that was lazy on their part, but it did end up being a pretty nifty looking figure. They took the the claws figure and uh, and just repainted him and put a beret on him and I think body armor and uh, and I actually have a couple of them. Some of those some of those the, the, some of those lazy twelve inch mistakes really make for some neat figures. If you go back and that that whole twelve inch GI Joe versus Cobra era, there's some really cool figures in there that I just ignored forever. And then uh, over the last couple of years whenever there was not a lot of product around i kind of went back and chased one up here and there and, and there were some really neat ones and that that one really stands out that's a really cool one plus that one plus there was a cobra trooper that had a very basic armored look that was pretty cool like there was a lot of stuff like that that even though it was just lazy part swapping and doing stuff on the cheap and all it, it came up they came up with some pretty neat figures there's a dart figure that's really really cool well uh you know that well we might as well then just jump into the uh Resolute Crimson Guard, since apparently there's a uh, an inadvertent connection there. Uh, Pat, do you want to speak a little about this um, Resolute Crimson Guard? Um, sure. 
Um, I mean, just since we've never seen one, you know, I mean, well, even even the club we've hasn't seen an said. Unpainted one. Well, yeah, the unpainted one, yes. And whenever I saw the unpainted one, I thought to myself, well, you know, those colors are a little bit bright. I'm not sure if Hasbro really would have planned those for anything past the test shot. Like maybe if they were going to produce that figure, it would have been a little bit darker. And the body is pretty much the same body from the Resolute multi-pack uh, where you could get the Cobra Trooper and Cobra Officer in red. Um, and so I had just popped a Crimson Guard head on that body and, you know, called it my custom and put it with my custom Iron Claw. But I was very lucky and probably, I think it was around the same week. It was crazy that, that they both didn't get offered to me at the same time, like right as a set. But about the same week that I got the Iron Claw, I also got the, uh, the Crimson Guard. And I'm not sure exactly what his name would have been. I think that whenever the listing showed up in the Walmart computer, it was like IK Trooper or Iron Claw Trooper or something like that versus Crimson Trooper was the name of the comic pack set, I think. But I have to wonder if it wouldn't have been, you know, the full name of Crimson Guard Trooper, which also that stand had come in the, uh, or that name was used in the senior ranking officer set. So that's kind of why I put that battle stand with my custom figure. If you're looking at the photo examples, the custom that I did is the one that says, that has a stand that says Crimson Guard Trooper. And the pre-production figure that I was lucky enough to get is the one with a blank stand. It's a little bit of a brighter red, and it does look just like the uh, test shot um, that had shown up online. Uh, and I, I really like this figure. I think it's cool. I don't really see any purpose. I don't think that this is one that really has life within a fan subscription service or within a convention set or anything like that because you can see the custom next to it, which is a simple part swap. I mean, if you have no customizing skills at all or are just too afraid to customize, it really is just popping ahead on a different figure, which you should already be doing with all the uh, Pursuit of Cobra figures and stuff like that anyway. So I really like the uh, pre-production figure. I'm kind of surprised that it took this long for it to show up. I don't know. It, it's definitely an interesting piece of, of G.I. Joe history. What do you guys think? I, I would have been all over this set. I mean, like, the Iron Claw is cool enough, but, dude, that, that I mean, the, just the red is real bright. It has such a resolute look. And, I mean, and, and I loved all the resolute designs and look and all, and, you know, and the same, you know, Pursuit of Cobra as well was seemed to kind of be in a similar vein. I mean, I like those troopers a lot, and I did the same thing you did, Pat. Like, I popped, you know, Crimson Guard heads on my extra red troopers just because I, you know, I had extra red troopers to play with. And uh, so, so I, I don't know, I think that if that pack had made it out to retail, it would have been an, an, an absolute home run. People would have been buying them, you know, by the ton. Uh, just to army build. I mean, two two troops in one. I mean, I think this would have been a bigger hit than like the the Iron Grenadier and Viper comic pack from several waves before. You know, I think this thing would have. I I know I would have bought bought a ton of them, and I would have loved to have seen them. I love the colors on it. I love the idea. You know, I mean, like Crimson Guards are cool. Everyone likes them, but I mean, they do kind of have a almost like a more officerish look to them. This one just kind of it's almost like he just has kind of like a little armored flak jacket or whatever. You know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, tactical vest, and, and it's just pretty badass looking. I would have loved to get, loved to get my hands on them. All right, so how do we want to wrap this up? Can we say nanobat ten more times? I'll just say thank you for uh, 
taking a look at some of the stuff that I managed to get my hands on, and uh, you know, I appreciate being on again. Thank you to uh, to Pat for uh, a sharing all of these images, and b uh, always being the vigilant lookout for uh, for things we might otherwise never actually see uh, in hand pictures of. He certainly really lucked out on these, um, especially getting both of them. As I said earlier, I never thought I would see anything other than what I had found because nothing had ever surfaced again. And of course, you know, what, almost two and a half years later, you know, here we are. Uh, just sort of uh, pulled that one out of the hat. So uh, thank you very much, Pat, for sharing those images. All right. Well, it's about that time to to wrap up. There's a there's a, a few things in this podcast I don't think we ever want to talk about again because we talked to them in to such lengths uh, this evening. Thank you to uh, everyone who attended, and um, we've got some actually pretty crazy guests lined up for future episodes. So keep it locked. And uh, if nothing else, uh, we will say good night. So uh, good night. Good night, everyone. Good night. From, good night. From our rotating cast of thousands. Have a pleasant tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Nanobat. Nanobat. Just when we think that it's over, our senses are recycling. We'll rise from the ashes over. Joe